0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Greetings. This is Abayomi Azikawe and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine that's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi azikawe. Today is Saturday, uh, December 25th, uh, 2021. We're broadcasting live uh, from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again uh, to another edition of our program. Later on, we'll be coming up uh, with our regular Pat African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the statement uh, by Ethiopian Prime Minister Abdi Ahmed on the military decision to not enter the Tigray province of the Horn of Africa State. Mass organizations continue to demonstrate uh, for democracy in the Republic of Sudan. We'll have details on that story as well. Also, uh, there was a bomb explosion at a restaurant in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. And the travel ban imposed by the United States against eight southern African nations will be lifted by the end of the year. In the second hour, we look further into the situation in Ethiopia with briefings and analysis uh, from government officials along with journalists. Finally, we examine some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day in Africa and throughout uh, the international community. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. Stay tuned, and uh, we'll take a musical interlude uh, with music uh, from Ethiopia from the artist uh, Gigi. Uh, Let's listen in. (laughs)
2: I ho ya ho hun zakat me da. Arunachchandra Chandra 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 what short
3: chuba to the to I-
1: african journal worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh for today uh saturday december 25th uh, 2021 we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown detroit that was the ethiopian artist known as gg and uh, that was a assortment of uh, music uh, from the horn of africa state uh, of ethiopia and uh We're going to right now move into our Pan-African NewsWatch segment of our program. Our lead story deals with the situation in Ethiopia, and according uh, to an article uh, published in Borkanab, the Ethiopian National Defense Force's successful completion of its national unity and diversity operation has resulted in the armed forces deciding to remain outside of the Tigray region uh, for the time being. Although many observers uh, consider this to have been done for tactical reasons, it's actually highly strategic. Uh, Government Communications Services Minister Legese Tulu uh, said that the authorities learned about a false flag genocide plot uh, by the TPLF and its international allies to implicate the Ethiopian National Defense Forces in war crimes, according uh, to the information that was revealed. Uh, They've already transported a large number of of their terrorists who were killed uh, during the government's liberation counteroffensive in the Afar and Amhar regions to mass graves in their home region. Upon the uh, ENDF's interest into Tigray, the TPLF plans to accuse it of genocide there and has coordinated disinformation warfare provocation with foreign media who have already agreed to dofully play along. By wisely avoiding this trap, the Ethiopian National Defense Force ensures that it, it, it will fail. Uh, there will be no revival of the regularly debunked genocide claims, including uh, through false flag plots. This throws a wrench in the U.S.-led West to artificially manufacture another pretext for justifying the next phase of their pre-planned pressure campaign against Ethiopia. By denying them, Any forthcoming moves in that direction will be even less credible than all their prior ones, uh, which further erodes the U.S.-led West's reputation. The ENDF won't just be sitting around, however, since they're hard at work helping the liberated regions recover from the TPLF's occupation. All sorts of war crimes were committed during this time, and entire communities were devastated uh, by these atrocities. The authorities uh, will help the victims while also exposing the extent of the DPLF terrorism there. Coupled uh, with their foiling of the U.S.-led West uh, information warfare provocation, this will serve to decisively reshape global participations in, in various conflicts uh, taking place uh, throughout various geopolitical regions of the world. And uh, Ethiopian uh, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed um, uh, said that decisions are based on lasting interests of Ethiopians, not on emotions. He said this in a message uh, on yesterday. It came after simmering popular anger over his government's decision for the army not to march to the Tigray region of Ethiopia after clearing the Tigray People's Liberation Front fighters uh, from the areas they controlled in the Afar and Hampahar regions of Ethiopia. For many, the decision will benefit the TPLF in order to buy time and reorganize its forces uh, for another offensive against Ethiopia. There are, in fact, unconfirmed reports that the TPLF started a new offensive in the Western Front uh, with the hope to open up routes to Sudan. Uh, Prime Minister Abiy reiterated what his Minister for Communication Affairs, Legesi Tulu, said. On Thursday the operation for multinational unity has achieved its first objective of clearing terrorist TPLF from afar and the Amhar region decisions that do not make Ethiopia victorious generate strength to our enemies directly or indirectly it amounts to allowing terrorist groups to extend their lifetime Abiy Ahmed elaborated in his message he painted the decision as something that will avoid a protracted war for ethiopia furthermore he went on to explain the nature of the war ethiopia is facing highlighting diplomatic economic military and information warfare and that his government has plans to reverse the offensive on all fronts about a week before his government ordered the ethiopian defense forces to halt their march to the Tigray region of ethiopia rumors have been surfacing on social media that the Ethiopian government is planning to negotiate with the TPLF forces. At last uh, Sunday, TPLF leader Debrechon Michael wrote to the United Nations Security uh, Secretary-General Antonio Guterres expressing his readiness to peacefully negotiate an end to the war. The majority of Ethiopians, based on samples of views expressed on different social media platforms, are not supporting neither peaceful negotiation with the designated terrorist TPLF or the order for the Ethiopian forces to halt military advance to the Tigray region of Ethiopia. It seems that the TPLF will not face any problems in terms of resources to reorganize its forces. Before withdrawing from the Tigray region in the late June 2021, the government spent more than 100 billion Ethiopian beer As claimed uh, by government authorities for reconstruction of infrastructure, destroyed in a three-week war, and for humanitarian purposes to include the supply of food items, much of it is believed to have been acquired by uh, the TPLF. Furthermore, Western humanitarian organizations have been delivering food to the region. In fact, uh, the TPLF diverted more than 500 aid trucks uh, that were meant to deliver aid to military for military purposes. Many Ethiopians are asking as to how the government decision is not helping the TPLF in terms of buying time for reorganization. And uh, in uh, neighboring uh, Republic of Sudan, uh, the struggle is continuing uh, for a new uh, revolutionary democratic dispensation inside uh, that oil-wrench uh, north and central African country. And earlier today, Sudanese security forces fired tear gas to disperse protesters in Khartoum on, uh, yes, earlier today, demonstrators once again took to the streets in the country's capital and elsewhere to denounce the October military coup. Thousands rallied since earlier in the day, even as authorities tightened security across Khartoum, deploying troops and closing all bridges over the Nile River linking the capital with this twin city of Abdurman and the district of Bari, the state-run Sudan news agency uh, reported authorities had warned protesters against approaching what they call sovereign and strategic sites in central Khartoum, a reference to main government buildings and key institutions. The city security committee said Sudanese forces would deal with chaos and violations according uh, to the Sudanese news agency. The marches started in different locations, uh, with protesters meant to converge on the presidential palace, but security forces fired live ammunition and used tear gas and water cannons to disperse those attempting to approach the palace, said activist Nazim Farad. Other marches elsewhere in the capital were violently dispersed, uh, he added. At least five protesters were wounded by gunfire in Abdurman and Khartoum's East Nile neighborhood, he said. Many others suffered from breathing difficulties due to uh, tear gas, uh, he added. Uh, Rallies were also underway in other cities, including the Wad Madani and Atbara. Last weekend, security forces violently dispersed demonstrations when they uh, attempted to stage a sit-in near the presidential palace. At least three protesters were killed, and more than 300 were wounded uh, on Sunday. Uh, There were also allegations of sexual violence, including rape and gang rape by security forces against female protesters. That's according to a report uh, from the United Nations. Volker Perthes, the U.N. Special Envoy for Sudan, urged security forces to protect the planned protest and refrain from arresting people for simply wanting to take part In the demonstrations, freedom of expression is a human right. This includes full access to the Internet. No one should be arrested for his or her intentions to protest peacefully, he said in a Twitter post. Ahead of the demonstrations earlier today, activists reported disruption of Internet access on phones in Hartoom, a tactic that had been used by the generals when they seized power on October the 25th. Advocacy group NetBlock said Sudan was experiencing mobile Internet disruptions early Saturday. The mechanisms appear similar to or identical to that used uh, during the October post-coup blackout, Alptoka, the group's director told the international press. The government did not comment on the Internet disruptions. The October military takeover upended a fragile planned transition to democratic rule and led to relentless street demonstrations across the country. At least 47 people have been killed and hundreds of wounded in protests triggered by the October 25th coup d'etat, according to a tally by the Sudanese Medical Group. Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdak, a former UN official, seen as the civilian face of Sudan's transitional government, was reinstated last month amid international pressure in a deal that calls for an independent technocratic cabinet under military oversight led by him. That deal, however, was rejected by the pro-democracy movement, which insisted power be handed over to a fully civilian government tasked with leading the transition. The prime minister is continuing discussions on finding a way out of the political deadlock. He met Friday with leaders of the country's largest UMA party, his office uh, said. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. I am your host, Abayomi Azikoway. Uh, In other news, a bomb exploded at a restaurant earlier today as patrons gathered on Christmas Day in an eastern Congolese town uh, where Islamist extremists are known to, be, to have been active. Uh, there was no immediate words on fatalities following the blast and Beni, though images uh, from the scene showed several lifeless bodies amid what remained uh, of the lime green plastic chairs outside the inbox restaurant. Shortly after the bomb went off, a heavy gunfire rang out and panicked crowds began fleeing the town center. Mayor Nacisi Mutebe Eshali, who is also a police colonel, urged people to return home and stay there as authorities investigated what had happened. The town has long been targeted by rebels from the Allied Democratic Forces, or the ADF, a group that that traces its origin to neighboring Uganda. But an Islamic State affiliate claimed responsibility for two explosions in Bini in June, deepening fears that religious extremism has taken hold there as well. These explosions included the first known suicide bombing in eastern Congo, a Ugandan man who blew himself up outside of a bar. The Islamic State Group Central Africa Province later said that the suicide bomber was targeting Christians. The other explosion uh, that day went off inside a Catholic church wounding two people. Residents of the town have repeatedly expressed anger over the ongoing insecurity. Despite an army offensive and the presence of the United Nations peacekeepers in Benin. In recent years, the town also has suffered through an Ebola epidemic and has seen several smaller outbreaks of the disease. And uh, finally, the United States will lift travel restrictions on eight southern African countries that it imposed to try to blunt the spread of the COVID-Omicron variant. That's according to the White House. They announced this. Yesterday, the variant uh, which uh, was first detected uh, by scientists in the Republic of South Africa has since spread around the world. The World Health Organization and leaders in Southern Africa criticized the travel ban as ineffective and unfairly damaging to local economies. The November 29 ban barred nearly all non-U.S. citizens who had recently been in South Africa, uh, Botswana, Eswatini. Namibia, Lesotho, Malawi, Mozambique, and Zimbabwe. The restrictions will be lifted on New Year's Eve. White House spokesman Kevin Munoz said on Twitter uh, that the decision was recommended by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Munoz said the temporary travel bans bought scientists necessary time to study the new virus variant and conclude that the current vaccinations are effective in blunting its impact. Uh, Omicron is now spreading rapidly throughout the United States, including among the vaccinated, Uh, but a huge majority of those being hospitalized are unvaccinated. The restrictions give us time to understand Omicron, and we know our existing vaccines work against Omicron, especially if you're boosted, Munoz tweeted, uh, much about the Omicron coronavirus variant. Remains unknown. Uh, scientists say Omicron spreads even easier than other coronavirus strains, including Delta. The government reports that 73% of the new infections nationwide are from the Omicron variant. But while breakthrough infections among vaccinated people have become common, uh, they have rarely led to severe illness or hospitalization. The rapid advance of Omicron. Along uh, with the more people gathering indoors during winter, has led to a major infection spike. The seven-day rolling average for the United States COVID-19 cases climbed past 160,000 just uh, this week, according to data collected by Johns Hopkins University. That's more than the double the average in late November. The rapid spread of the new variant hasn't overwhelmed most domestic hospital systems. Yet, but it has royal businesses, uh, sports leagues, and crystal Christmas travel plans across the country. Multiple NBA and NFL games have been rescheduled due to COVID-19 outbreaks. And Hawaii Bowl, uh, scheduled for Friday, was canceled outright after Hawaii was forced to withdraw. Uh, three airlines have canceled dozens of domestic and international flights, citing staffing shortages. And uh, with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of the Pan-African Journal. And in concluding uh, this segment of our program, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in various newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing, and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have access to today's uh, Pan-African Journal, this worldwide uh, radio broadcast, all you need to do is go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com. Forward slash Pan African Journal. That's BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash Pan African Journal. And uh, by going uh, to our website, uh, not only can you have access to today's program for uh, Saturday, uh, December the twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. You can also have access uh, to well over a thousand other uh, archived editions of uh, the Pan-African Journal. And, of course, uh, this is uh, the Pan-African Journal special worldwide radio broadcast. And, of course, just this last past uh, week, uh, one of the legends uh, of uh, Motown, Wanda Young, uh, who had been a lead singer in the Marvelettes, who uh, was a major force in catapulting Motown Records uh, to the top of the R&B charts uh, beginning in 1961 with their hit, Mr. Postman, and, of course, uh, with a string of uh, outstanding records and albums uh, all the way uh, through the 1960s. And, of course, we want to listen to uh, some music uh, by the Marvelettes. Let's listen in. Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the Marvelettes. And, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Wanda Young, who was a singer with uh, Motown's group, uh, the Marvelettes, uh, who scored uh, big uh, with songs uh, such as uh, Please, Mr. Postman and Don't Mess With Bill, has uh, made her transition at the age of 78. Uh, Young uh, comes from Inkster, uh, which is uh, right outside Detroit, a suburb uh, of Detroit, uh, west of Detroit, joined Marvelettes in 1961. She even sang backup vocals on uh, the Postman track uh, before eventually becoming the group's lead singer. The Marvelettes uh, were considered Motown's first girl group. They scored the labels its first number one hit, uh, which was uh, Postman. Uh, according to a statement issued by Motown over Twitter, it said, We are so saddened uh, by the news of Wanda Young of the Marvelettes passing. What an impact she has had on the world of classic Motown and the lives of so many, her legacy will continue to live on. And uh, we want to uh, cite some of the other music um, done uh, by the Marvelettes. We mentioned Postman. There was Beachwood 45789. The Hunter Gets Captured by the Game. My Baby Must Be a Musician, and so many other uh, great, great tracks. And um, we're going to hear another tune uh, by the marvelous This was entitled the, uh, the Day You Take One. Let's listen in. Welcome back and uh that was a collection of tunes uh about Marvelette's um Motown Sound Detroit's own uh in tribute to Wanda Young, uh who made our transition uh, earlier this week. Uh, former lead singer uh, for uh the Marvelettes, uh Marvelettes being the first hit group um that cracked um the broader uh, popular music uh, charts uh, for Motown Records in 1971 uh, with their tune entitled Postman. And um, Wanda was 78 years old. Uh, she originated from Inkster, Michigan, uh graduate of Inkster High School, uh, right outside the city of Detroit. And uh, right now we want to move into our segment uh, on the current uh, political, economic, and security situation. In the Horn of Africa, state of Ethiopia, we've been bringing you regular briefings, <clears throat> news reports, uh, interviews uh, on the current security situation. Uh, the Ethiopian National Defense Forces, as we spoke earlier in the Pan-African Newswire segment, has retaken uh, huge swaths of territory uh, from the TPLF in the Amhara and Afar our, our region. And uh, the Prime Minister's Office uh, spokeswoman, uh, Belenise Sayon, gave a briefing uh, just uh, a few days ago in Addis Ababa. we hope you listen to do that briefing now.
4: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's briefing. I will start off with uh, just a summary of activity of the past week. On December 17th and 18th, uh, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, as you have well noted, um, Uh, together with his delegation traveled to Istanbul, Turkey, to attend the third Turkey-Africa Partnership Summit. On the sidelines of the summit, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed also met with President Erdogan of the Republic of Turkey, in which both discussed the continuing strengthening of relations Uh, between Ethiopia and Turkey. As you may recall, in uh, late uh, August 2021, an official state visit um, had been undertaken, marking the 125th relations between the two countries, the historic relations, and uh, at this event in which uh, key cooperation agreements had also been uh, signed. Uh, During the summit, um, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed also underlined uh, the multifaceted engagements between Turkey and African countries in the areas of agriculture, education, trade, and when it comes to uh, the bilateral level on on bilateral front, he also emphasized uh, the opportunities uh, that are available for further enhancing uh, uh, trade ties and and investments uh, between Ethiopia and Turkey. Moving on to the second point of today's briefing on humanitarian response updates in the northern part of the country, Um, just to give you a very short summary of uh, information that has been received from the National Disaster Risk Management Commission. In uh, Amhara region, following the recent military activities against EPLF, um, the government has distributed 1,316 quintals of food to Waldiak, Obbo and Mersa waradas in North Wallo zone, uh, 31,000 uh, or close to 32,000 quintals of food to Ataye, Afrata, and Shoarobit, Robit, Minsgara waradas and in North Shoa zone. Um, More than uh, 9,000 quintals of food have also been uh, sent off or dispatched to Bati, Artum, Fursi, Dawe, Harawa, Jiltimuga, Dawe, Jaffa, Waradas in Oromia zone of the Amhara region. And close to 22,000 quintals of food um, or different kind of food uh, supplies have been dispatched to Gashana, Lalibala, Wadella, and uh, Lasta Waradas. This is for the Amhara region. In the Afar region, it has been uh, noted and we've uh, indicated before that um, uh, the the needs uh, have also been been increasing in these two uh, regions particularly in the Afar region, more than 1.3 million people um, have been identified as in need of emergency or immediate emergency response, and close to 400,000 have been displaced as a, tap, uh, as a result of TPLF incursions uh, within 21 where So the government, together with partners, has continued helping those in conflict-affected uh, areas. In Tigray region, the most uh, recent update that I have is that a total of 225 trucks have uh, as of recent arrived into the Tigray region with humanitarian supplies um, that have arrived in Tomekaleh and a total of uh, around 9,300 metric uh, tons of food and non-food items have been uh, delivered. To share a little bit on the current uh, state of play, as we have seen in recent weeks, the national defense forces uh, together with allied uh, forces from the Afar region and the Amhara region, have made considerable gains in reversing the occupation by TPLF of uh, many Amhara and um, Afar towns. Um, These gains have been made in uh, very heavy battles that have been undertaken over the past uh, weeks, uh, most recent being uh, the full clearing of TPLF from uh, North Wallow Zone and liberating its strategic uh, capital, uh, Waldia. The aftermath of TPLF's occupation has unfortunately revealed uh, tremendous destruction of Uh, public and private infrastructure. Um, In the last briefing, um, after and Desi had been liberated, uh, some of you had also inquired to the level of destruction, and at that point in time it was too early, Um, but after control of the towns by the national forces, assessments have revealed that uh, the looting and destruction by by TPLF includes um, uh, heavy uh, destruction of health infrastructures in all areas occupied by TPLF, so it seems uh, quite targeted that they are going for, he- for health infrastructures and uh, creating an environment in which the Amhara and Afar regions do not have uh, capacity to be able to treat the uh, health needs uh, of their communities. The second areas of attacks uh, or sector of attacks has been education institutions, Um, particularly Wallow University has sustained uh, a lot of damages, uh, which will take uh, so many, um, a lot of uh, budgetary support as well as a lot of time to reinstate uh, the teaching capabilities. Other sites that have also been attacked by TPLF include religious institutions and cultural centers. uh, Kombolcha as an industry hub has also been rendered inoperable um, or the uh, industry uh, center at this point in time. And uh, this has witnessed uh, the thorough theft and destruction by TPLF of uh, industry sites, including within the industry park, as well as other uh, factories as well in uh, in that town. Um, Another point of attack, uh, targeted attacks, has been the destruction of public documents. In financial and legal institutions, so thereby erasing um, uh, data uh, that is uh, uh, or government data that uh, would be enabling um, various uh, sectors uh, or government sectors to provide requisite support uh, to uh, you know members of those communities based on uh, or to provide these services based on uh, these documentations um as we have also witnessed in liberated areas, communities that had been displaced uh, due to TPLF's violence are slowly starting uh, to return back into their locals and there is multifaceted um, efforts that are being made and mobilized to uh, reinstate them uh, back fully into these communities and for rehabilitation and rebuilding work uh, to commence a fourth item of uh, uh, Briefing for today is uh, we recalled at the end of uh, last week, the United Nations Human Rights Council in Geneva had endorsed um, a resolution titled Human Rights Situation in Ethiopia, which was drafted and tabled mainly by the member states uh, from uh, their European Union. The resolution decided to establish an international commission of human rights experts with a mandate to conduct um, investigation into allegations of human rights violations. Um, You will also recall that Ethiopia has rejected the resolution from its inception, not only when it was adopted, but the entire process uh, that was taken is something that uh, Ethiopia has categorically rejected. Um, Also uh, friendly African countries as well as other friendly countries have also joined uh, by giving a no vote to this. Um, Particularly here, we want to emphasize that um, this uh, rejection on the part of uh, the government of Ethiopia should not be misconstrued as a rejection of uh, probes or um, um, efforts to address human rights uh, violations within the country. It should not be taken as that because that is uh, the dominant narrative that is being spun at the moment. Rather, the resolution is, um, or the Ethiopian government acknowledges that the resolution is a politically motivated instrument that is set to discredit efforts undertaken uh, prior and recommendations that had been put forth already by the joint uh, UN Human Rights Office and the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission in their investigation report. You would recall that uh, sometime in uh, end of um, uh, March 2021, Um, There was uh, a joint investigation that had been endorsed by the uh, government and had been facilitated by the government for uh, the UN body uh, uh, at that point in time, together with the Ethiopian Human Rights uh, Commission, to undertake this joint investigation. This was facilitated by the government because it was fully endorsed for the need to happen. Um, Once the report was finalized uh, and it came out in early November, this report was also accepted by the government, with reservations, of course, because of the scope, um, uh, the limitations with regards to the scope of uh, coverage of this report. Nevertheless, uh, the prime minister, as well as the federal government, took it upon them to uh, rally behind this report and endorsed uh, some of the findings and made sure that a remedial process uh, was launched. This remedial process um, entailed an interministerial task force be uh, formed that is currently looking into the implementation aspect of it. So while these processes are are already in play, it doesn't um, make any sense to rally behind new investigations that are looking into the same period as the recent investigation, uh, simply uh, because some did not get the results that they had anticipated. We do recall that the previous report outright rejected these accusations and allegations of a genocide having taken place. Uh, The utilization of uh, famine or uh, starvation as a weapon of war was something that was found inconclusive in the previous report. So because this is not something that had settled well with some bodies to uh, reinitiate a similar process, in essence, is abusing um, international norms and resources to undertake a redundant uh, activity. Uh, so in this regard, uh, the Council should first recognize the efforts of the government to address the alleged human rights violations to garner results for a political agenda. Um, it should accept the joint investigation report and appreciate the efforts of the government to address issues based on the recommendations and the the Council should uh, stop its double standard position on human rights violations in Tigray vis-à-vis Amhara and Afar Regional States, where we have seen vast amounts of human rights abuses and atrocities committed by the TPLF. Moving to uh, the final point for today's briefing, I just want to uh, draw your attention um, to December 10, 2021, where the Council of Ministers had endorsed a draft proclamation for the formation of a National Dialogue uh, Commission. So following the outcome of the six national elections and the formation of a new uh, government, one of the commitments made has been to create a homegrown, um, inclusive space to address various contestations that have not only risen over the past three years, but have existed within the political uh, history Uh, or the modern political history of the country. So, resultantly, the Council of Ministers' decision to form a National Dialogue Commission is testament to this commitment that had been made um, upon the formation of the new government. The National Dialogue Commission is envisaged to be an independent democratic institution with reporting lines to the House of People's Representatives and acting with an independent mandate to bridge differences and uh, chart an inclusive way forward for national uh, understanding and alignment on contested issues. Um, yesterday, the Legal, Justice, and Democracy Affairs Standing Committee of the House of Peoples' Representatives uh, undertook a consultation with various uh, stakeholders to garner input to the draft proclamation, um, and some of the main uh, duties of this body, as has been um, uh, underlined or shared within the proclamation, is identifying agenda items that would contribute to national consensus. Um, Identifying stakeholders that would need to participate in this national dialogue, uh, convening the dialogue platforms themselves, crafting implementation processes for recommendations coming out of the national dialogue, and then follow up on implementation uh, plans. Um, the draft proclamation is expected to pass in the coming weeks, and um, uh, this will uh, inevitably open up another phase in Ethiopia's democratization process anchored in inclusivity and addressing these contestations in an Ethiopian form and uh, manner. So with these uh, sh- quick, short updates, I will open it up to any questions that you may have. We'll start on this side with Askender, uh, and I'll come to you, Fasika.
0: Thank you very much, Billani. Uh, you talked about battles fought to defeat and repel TPLF forces from Afar and Amhara regions. But in recent statements, TPLF leaders insisted their forces remained undefeated and they just withdrew from Amhara and Afar regions. Uh, I was wondering if you could comment on this and also on the uh, take of the international c- community uh, on this uh, TPLF uh, uh, argument. Thank you very much.
4: Thank you, Skander on the tplf uh, retreat i guess uh, those um, in the international community and media who choose to amplify um, tplf's narrative have got their own uh, agenda for doing so nevertheless um, i think there is an open invitation for those that want to go and document particularly from the international media as has been facilitated in many parts of uh, uh, liberated areas to go document and uh, discuss with those um, you know that have witnessed the intense uh, battles, um, what had transpired as well. So I wouldn't just leave it to a statement uh, that has been issued by an organization deemed a terrorist organization. Um, I think Ethiopia and its heroic forces do not need external validation, as Ethiopians know the sacrifices uh, that have been paid and um, uh, the challenges that had been countered in order to uh, gain the current status quo, as well as the setbacks that TPLF has encountered. But more importantly, I think in that argument, the TPLF will have to face and respond uh, to mothers within the Tigray region who have sent off uh, their sons and daughters thinking that they would come back um and um how will they respond uh you know when they have sent them in droves for a senseless uh, uh senseless conflict that they have engaged in so these are questions that uh, they will have to account to and uh, the the current uh, you know noise with regards to whether it's a strategic retreat or not will inevitably reveal itself but um, again i want to draw your attention to um, just something that had transpired within the past uh, recent uh, past which is number 1 um, uh, the claims that uh, they had also seized gashana again So if this was a force that was strategically retreating, uh, there was a lot of noise coming out from their end and rhetoric coming out from their end that they had recently seized Gashana. Um, the other one is uh, evidence that you have also seen um, of uh, heavy uh, infrastructure damages and um, uh, a lot of other uh, uh, you know battles that they have engaged in um, over the past uh, few days as well. And then again, the rhetoric of uh, you know we're about to take address, we're almost reaching there is something that uh, just recently uh, transpired. So again within that context, this strategic retreat narrative is open uh, for other people who are more inquisitive uh, and want to get to the bottom of it. Uh, thank you, Vilani, for the briefing and the opportunity as well. My first question is, uh, after retaking all the areas in Afar in the Mohara region, what's the next strategic military goal of the, the latest operation led by Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed? Uh, the second one is uh, regarding the, the latest uh, initiative by the government, uh, informing the National Dialogue Commission, and one of the aim of the, this commission, uh, according to the draft proclamation, says that laying out a foundation for national consensus and building a, uh, a state with uh, strong legitimacy. So, in, in, in order to achieve this goal, uh, does this process include amending the constitution or the current constitution? Thank you. Okay, thank you, Fasika. Um, On your first uh, question of where to hear forth, um, we're still in the final uh, uh, stages of uh, this latest operation. If you recall, the operation for national unity and diversity, the aim was to ensure that um, TPLF forces were cleared out of the Amhara and Afar regions. Uh, This is something that is still being undertaken because there's still some elements within certain pockets that need to be uh, fully cleared out. So what next after this is first we need to uh, conclusively finalize uh, this phase of it and then um, those that need to share what transpires next will do so. On the um, uh, national dialogue, um, it's too early for me to say that because, number one, as I was mentioning to you earlier, this is an independent body that is being set up. The independent body, based on uh, various uh, stakeholder inputs, base- based on its, uh, you know, on processes of assessment that it's going to be taking, will identify these agenda items. So, as you had uh, said, if this is an agenda item that is important uh, or that has been uh, a key area of contestation, then I do imagine, as a democratic and independent body that they would uh, bring it up but again this is not something that is being uh, driven by the executive body this is an independent process and uh, I think we would need to allow uh, the process to materialize uh, in its own time period I'll take one question here and I'll come there
2: okay thank you I'm from Alain. Uh, my question is uh, out of the northern part of the country it's about uh, some eastern and uh, southern parts that uh, drought affected areas. That The Somali regional government said that about 3.4 million people are in need of help. So uh, there is also the same uh, problem in the Borana zone also. What that the government of Ethiopia doing to address those people are in need.
4: Thank you. Thank you. I I don't have the data, unfortunately, but this is something that has been covered by the National Disaster Risk Management Commission. Um, I don't have specific figures for you, but you could inquire with them. There has been assistance that has been delivered to these drought-affected areas, and this is something that is going to be continuing with partners as well. Uh,
2: Thank you very much, Pelenni. Um, first question on the humanitarian um, uh, situation in the North. Now that war is subsiding, I understand that the government is trying to expedite the process of food delivery to those uh, in need. How is the collaboration work being done now that uh, things are working well with the United Nations? Um, because the UN is saying the same thing, that food should be delivered as soon as possible to avoid any catastrophe. Um, Two, uh, post-conflict reconstruction. What is the plan now? Because the worn, torn areas in Afar, um, Amhara, even in the northern Tigray regional state, as this is part of the country, need to be addressed. Is there any plan uh, on the uh, on the paper? Uh, maybe final question. Can you update us on your call, the government's call of um, the diaspora to return home for the holiday of one million diaspora? Is there any progress so far? Thank you so much.
4: Thank you, Grun. On your first question, I mean, nothing uh, really changes from the Ethiopian side. The commitment for humanitarian assistance um, to its people in the northern part of the country is still strong, has always been strong. The commitment has always been there. Um, The humanitarian um, assistance needs have obviously expanded due to TPLS um, um, incursions and belligerence in the other parts of the region, as I had mentioned. So, again, equal attention needs to be paid uh, to people who have um, lost their livelihoods as well in these regions. Again, there are certain calls by certain bodies only focused on uh, the Tigray region, but it's important um, because uh, the Ethiopian government is responsible for people throughout the country um, and all regions as well. So uh, the government remains committed to ensuring that assistance um, uh, is reaching those uh, beneficiaries. Again, I want to reiterate and highlight here, because this is a contested issue, that humanitarian assistance interruptions has never been uh, the, the, <coughs> the uh, what is it, the, um, uh, what the government has uh, wanted to do. But uh, obviously, because of uh, TPLF's own politicization of uh, these kind of issues, um, uh, people who actually need uh, dire uh, humanitarian assistance have been Cordoned off by their own, uh, you know, uh, say, uh, guardians, as they call themselves, uh, from uh, assistance reaching them. On your second question of post conflict reconstruction, indeed, this is, uh, I mean, we've witnessed um, uh, huge infrastructure uh, damages um, that uh, not only, you know, the bricks and mortars aspect of it, but what it means in terms of decimating institutions, uh, uh, this uh, uh, frivolous. Uh, what is it? undertaking that the TPLF have been going through in all of the areas that they've occupied has seen a devastation of a lot of people's livelihoods as a, as a result of that. So post-conflict reconstruction is key. There are some areas already in which um, initial infrastructure works are being undertaken like uh, uh, restoring electric lines and phone lines that have been um purposely uh, you know decimated. but uh, over the next uh, there is a committee that has been set up uh, under the purview of the Deputy Prime Minister. and over the next uh, weeks uh, it will become more evident what the entire package for reconstruction um, of uh, you know conflict affected communities would look like. So <coughs> I'll defer to the stakeholders who come to that. On your final uh, question with reference to the Grand Ethiopian Homecoming, um, it has been a very positive uptake by Ethiopians uh, within the diaspora. And again, we reiterate the gratitude um, uh, to Ethiopians throughout the world who have not only shown their solidarity with Ethiopians and uh, with the Ethiopian government and Ethiopians that are affected in this current phase, but also um, the, the initiatives that they have been undertaking in mobilizing fundraising support from where they are. So there are those that have chosen to stay there and mobilize fundraising support and are really um, doing uh, great work in terms of that. There are those that are also mobilizing resources, and there are those that have chosen to actually come here um, and uh, support, um, you know, on the ground as well. So you can see that, um, I'm sure you'll get more details, but there has been a surge in uh, Ethiopian Airlines uh, bookings, which indicates a positive um, Uptake. Also, the government has established a national committee uh, composed of uh, various uh, government entities that uh, is being coordinated by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs as well. Um, So you will see that the Ministry of Health has also indicated that there is drop-off points that have been set up um, at Bole International Airport for those that want to come with pre-approved uh, medical items and supplies. So there is this whole mobilization that uh, uh, the Ethiopian diaspora communities are engaged in, and this is something that we will uh, that we will see continuing as well. Thank you, Brooke.
3: <coughs> Thank you very much. Uh, recently, the TPLF, in uh, in a letter for the UN Secretary General requested for peaceful resolution of the conflict in the northern part of Ethiopia. What's the government's position on this? And if you could put it in a yes or no reply, is the government willing to sit for negotiations with the TPLF? And my second my second question is, there are talks of uh, new advances around Alamata, and also there are claims of government's airstrikes uh, around Alamata and the, the vicinities. So, and this, these airstrikes are Said to be targeted on civilians, and what are the targets of these airstrikes if they, they are happening? And are there any new advances that, that you could tell us around uh, Alamata and, and in the vicinities? And finally, uh, you, you've you've told us about the new proclamation that's going to establish a national uh, dialogue con- commission, and and there were efforts by different stakeholders to 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 facilitate national dialogue in the country, including uh, the MIND initiative which the Minister of Peace was part of. So what, what, what is the need to establish a new institution whose, whose appointees are chosen by the Prime Minister while there were similar efforts that going on in the country uh, for, for a year and three months, I think. Thank you very much.
4: Okay, thank you, Brooks on uh, your first question I mean it's very uh, it's not a simple question to answer yes or no I cannot give you a yes or no answer I have to reiterate again the position of the government which has been stated over the past year that a peaceful resolution uh, before the conflict began is something a path that the government had always chosen and emphasized Um, once the conflict had started there has been so many uh, olive branches that have been extended and you have seen um, so many of them being rejected so for for the reference to the call that you said um, or the letter that has been issued, and I don't even know if such a uh, 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 illegitimate entity can send such a letter to a uh, United Nations uh, body. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the call that you made for peace is something that the Ethiopian government still wants. Um, uh, the resolution of this um, phase is something that we're committed to in terms of ensuring that it's done in a peaceful way and through a political means. Nevertheless, any political solution will always be centered on justice, will be centered on accountability, um, and also in dialogue. Um, When I refer to you in terms of dialogue, the question of who and with whom um, this would be uh, done with, and what are the prerequisites, are details that will be unveiled in due time. So I'll leave it as that for the first one. Um, I don't have any information of uh, any advancements uh, that you have uh, shared, but uh, I think the Ethiopian government has been very transparent when uh, um, airstrikes have been undertaken to neutralize um, identified terrorist cells and uh, terrorist um, uh, hideouts. So this is within the constitutional framework that these strikes would be undertaken. Attacking civilians has never been the mandate or the uh, modus operandi of the federal government, um, although you would hear it from the other end. On uh, the national dialogue, um, again, I'm not uh, quite certain what you're referring to in the previous one. Um, There are efforts by various actors as well, but this is a a commission that's going to be set up reporting to the House of People's Representatives. So like I said to you, this is not something that there will be direct executive oversight, but this is a representation of the people's uh, needs and uh, requirements for various contestations um, that have risen over the past three years and before that as well. I'll take one more question, Noe, and then we'll wrap up.
5: Thank you for, for the briefing. Um, can we have a bit more details on the phone call that the Prime Minister had with President of uh, Senegal, South Africa and the DRC? Um, can we expect, expect some more uh, <coughs> diplomatic activity from the African Union? Um, and can we expect a ceasefire in Ethiopia?
4: Thank you, Noé. Uh, I don't have any details with regards to the phone calls, um, but these kind of uh, conversations will continue because this is a a normal part of uh, an exercise of uh, what the Prime Minister has been doing in engaging um, African counterparts on common issues of uh, concern uh, at the national level, regionally, and uh, continentally as well. So I would imagine that they would continue. Um, I think, uh, what's the last question that you had asked? Second part, sorry. Uh, Ceasefire from who? is a question the government has already been engaged in a ceasefire before, which has been evidently um, you know, uh, referred to as a sick joke. So the federal government has got an obligation to maintain peace, to ensure um, territorial integrity, and uh, the operations by the federal uh, defense forces will uh, ensure that um, territoria- territorial integrity will be maintained, and that TPLF is no more a threat to the peace and stability of uh, Ethiopia. So I think with these last questions uh,
6: responses
1: we'll wrap it up there. Thank you. Welcome back and uh Bella Nino who uh, was the press secretary for Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed that, uh, giving a briefing uh, just 4 days ago on uh, the security and situation inside of, uh, and, and if you want to uh, stay abreast of uh, developments uh, in uh, Ethiopia, all you need to do is uh, visit uh, our Pan-African Newswire website, and that's at pan com. That's pan com. We'll take a break. Uh, we'll be back uh, with more of our program for this week. <laughs>
6: Patience My heart cries
1: back, and uh, that was the voice of Irma Thomas, New Orleans empress of soul, rhythm and blues, uh, Irma Thomas, and yes, uh, and uh, right now we want to move into our concluding segment uh, of our program, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, uh, December 25th, 2021. We are broadcasting live uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of uh, the Pan-African Journal. We'll listen uh, to this briefing uh, on uh, the public health situation on the African continent, uh, the spread of COVID-19, the Omicron variant, the scientific research uh, that is being done, the vaccination rollouts, all of this is taking place on the African continent, uh, and uh, the Director-General, uh, Dr. John Nkengasong, uh, will make a presentation. Let's listen
0: in. Commission, And uh, today, as usual, we have Dr. John Nkengasong, who is the Director of the Africa CDC, and today he's going to be talking to us about uh, the Omicron variant of COVID-19, and he's going to be giving us updates on what is currently known in the scientific field on which we can try and keep safe uh, season. He's also going to be uh, going into some advice on the fourth wave that is uh, about to hit the continent or perhaps has already come onto the continent of Africa. So he's
5: experiencing a more severe uh, wave since the last briefing, nine countries have now um, joined those countries reporting the food wave and I'll read them. This includes the Democratic Republic of Congo, Eswatini, Lesotho, Malawi, Mozambique, Namibia, Nigeria, and Zambia and Zimbabwe. Three countries are now reporting the, 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 the feed wave. They include Algeria, Kenya, and Mauritius. So it means the last time we breathe, two countries, that is Kenya and Algeria, are now in their feed wave. As I said earlier, and I've repeated that, we continue to see these waves come and go, but the very concerning element here is that the the food wave and potentially the feed wave is starting just before we go into the holiday season. And that is very concerning to me, and we will Uh, discuss that um, uh, extensively at the end of this uh, conversation. Last year we saw the wave uh, coming up after the holiday season and not before the holiday season so we should um, uh, just keep that in mind as uh, we carry on our discussions. In terms of the variant, I will focus mainly on the Omicron. As of today, 22 countries are reporting the presence of the Omicron variant. Now, six additional countries have joined that group of countries since the last time we briefed, and I read them. They include Burkina Faso, Togo, Egypt, Kenya, Morocco, and Mauritius. So we can see clearly that the the Omicron is spreading very quickly. And again, we'll discuss the the effect of this uh, going forward. And... Let's just look at the trends between last week and this week, what we call the epidemiologic, epidemiological week 50. If we compared last week and this week, a total of 253,000 new cases have been reported, and that represents an increase of 21%. And the countries that are reporting the, the, the highest number of cases include South Africa, with 140,000 new cases, Zimbabwe, 25,000 new cases, Uh, Eswatini, 7,000 new cases, Kenya, similarly, 7,000, and Botswana, about 7,000 new cases. So you can see that the bulk of this infection, that is of the 230 something thousand new cases, uh, uh, sorry, 53,000 new cases, a bulk of those cases are coming from uh, these countries that I just mentioned. In terms of new deaths, a total of 1,136 new deaths were reported across the continent. And this represents an increase of 14% from last week, which we reported uh, or were reporting 976 uh, um, new uh, death cases. If we now look at the period between uh, the four week period between November 22nd and December 19, we see the following trend the 82% average increase of new cases between that period. And if you break it down by region, we have the following observations. About 208% increase in Southern Africa, 95% increase in Central Africa, 68% increase in Western Africa, 54% increase in Eastern Africa, and 5% increase in Northern Africa. The following are the different breakdowns of the most populous countries. South Africa, 231% increase, average increase. Kenya, 215%. DRC, 178%. Nigeria, 146% average increase. Ethiopia, 56% average increase. And Egypt, 1% average decrease. If we now look at the, um, the new deaths, between that same period, uh, we observe a 3% average decrease. So average increase, tobacco pardon, Average increase with a falling breakdown. Kenya 93% average increase. Nigeria 65% average increase. South Africa 37% average increase. But we see decreases in Egypt 9%, Ethiopia 6% average decrease, and DRC. 3 percent average decrease over the last uh, four weeks. In, test of, in terms of testing, cumulatively, that is since the start of this uh, pandemic, the continent has conducted about 86 million cases. Last week alone, about 1.8 million cases, uh, tests were conducted, and this represents a 33 percent average increase in number of tests uh, compared to the previous week. So let us now discuss the vaccine and vaccination situation. As of the 23rd of December, a total of 445.9 million doses of vaccines have been uh, delivered on the continent in 54 member states. Of that number, 324.7 million doses have been administered, and that actually represents a 72.82% uh, the percentage uptake of the vaccines. Our total coverage, that is the number of people that have been fully vaccinated uh, as of today, stands at 10.89%. So we have each just passed the 10% percentage uh, point. Again, I would always like to uh, recall countries that are making a remarkable progress. Morocco uh, has immunized fully about 60 2% of its eligible population, uh, Egypt 17%, South Africa 26%, uh, Ethiopia 3.3%, and Algeria 22%. As we speak in terms of ABA, uh, we have delivered a total of uh, 31.2 million doses of, of the Johnson and Johnson um, doses to, to uh, member states to 34 member states, to be very specific. So let me just go back to the Omicron virus and and share what we we know. In South Africa, most most of the information comes from South Africa, from our colleagues in South Africa. They continue to be very transparent in terms of uh, sharing scientific information with the rest of the world. We now know from a report from South African scientists that the Omicron virus is about 70 to 80 percent less severe than the, compared to the Delta virus, um, even though the transmissibility is very high, and we've shared the numbers with you in terms of the new cases uh, that, that are contributing to the outburst of the food wave in South Africa. So that is very encouraging uh, to know that. We also know that from South African colleagues that no one who received the Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine, which is the, the backbone of our vaccination program, has died from, from uh, the, the Omicron uh, virus. I think that is very encouraging. I will continue to stay in touch with uh, our South African colleagues. I just want to put this in context, that this is just uh, data coming from one country. We don't know how, with the increased spread of Omicron across the continent, what the situation will look like. Uh, so we have to interpret this cautiously. But again, very early uh, information indicating uh, the the, the 80% or 70 to 80% less severity of cases uh, than when uh, uh, we saw than what we saw with the Delta, and then for the uh, very encouraging news for now with the Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine holding them. So let me just conclude by saying that it is very clear that um, the Omicron variant is challenging all vaccines, not just. Uh, the, the Johnson & Johnson vaccines or the AstraZeneca. So it is an appeal for those that are eligible to get out there and get their boosters so that it can be fully protected against, um, against the Omicron variant, which, uh, again, we've discussed this before, uh, uh, tend to show a, re- a reduction in the effectiveness of, of vaccines, regardless of which vaccines that people are receiving. So I'd like to conclude here and then turn it back to you uh, to win for the question and answer session.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Dr. John Kengasong, Africa CDC director. Before we move on to our Q&A section, let me also just welcome Dr. Ahmed Ogwell, who is the deputy director of the Africa CDC and he is online joining this press briefing. So for our question and answer section, let me give you that WhatsApp number again. For today we are using plus 251 904 139935 that is plus 251 904 139935 but of course you can come through live and also through the question and answer section and I see that already we started to have hands going up And uh, let us say good morning to Girum Chala, who is joining us live. Girum, good morning, and uh, please go ahead with your question.
2: Good morning, Madam Wayne. Uh, Thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, Dr. John, great to see you, sir. Um, My question, uh, first of all, is on uh, the vaccination. Still, Africa remains to be behind, uh, and it's very challenging, even morally. You've said it so many times before. For the rest of the continent to go even for the fourth dose such as Israel for instance isn't 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 it time for us as Africans to make this a global agenda and push even more in that regard if if there is any campaign that you are intending to do please let us know the second one is on travel restrictions Uh, so many countries are still restricting uh, travel while at the same time they know that we have got problems of uh, distributing vaccinations. So how can Africa be competent in a global market if these things are going to continue mounting? Thank you
5: so much. Uh, Thank you, Guillaume. I think um, the the continent is making progress now in terms of uh, uh, vaccine delivery. Uh, You heard the numbers. and uh, More vaccines are coming into the Ava System and more vaccines are also coming into the COVAX and bilateral donations. So I think that is very encouraging. We now have to prepare ourselves for vaccination. I think that is what um, what you are referring to. And if you recall, just uh, on Monday, we had a, a high-level meeting of all ministers of health and all partners on the uh, uh, the continent. All partners, not just partners in Africa, but they included UNICEF, WHO, uh, Gavi, COVAX. We all brought them together under the umbrella of African Union and Africa CDC to discuss strategies to um, increase vaccination, to discuss our coordination efforts, to discuss partnerships that are required to increase our levels of vaccination. Remember, our target is to get to 70% of uh, vaccination by the end of next year. So uh, we are 10%. We are a long way to go, but at least uh, we are making uh, uh, progress. You are right. We need a massive campaign, a massive campaign at every country level so that everyone should go out there, especially with what we now know with the variant coming. Uh, you cannot even talk of a booster if people have not received their first doses of vaccine. So I think our campaign should be aiming at pushing out people that have not received their first dose to receive the first dose. Push out people that have received their first dose to get their second dose, and then those uh, eligible population uh, to get their, uh, their third their third booster. Those eligible population meaning starting with people that have received that are, are, are the elderly and those who have uh, a, a immunocompromised uh, status. So I think that continues to remain the order of business. But it's a collective action that we should really encourage all of uh, everyone. There's about 20% of people out there that are really hesitant. Okay, uh, Studies upon studies are showing that the level of acceptance of vaccine range on the continent between 78 to 82%. So but there's 20% out there that we need, really need to work very, very hard to bring them out. The second thing you discussed about the travel restriction, we are very encouraged to see that uh, countries, uh, uh, some countries are beginning to lift uh, up their travel restrictions. I think that is very we... Really, uh, continue to uh, believe that we can only address the, 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 the COVID-19 pandemic, regardless of the variants. Because, again, I just want to make an emphasis here that the variants are not new viruses. They are the same viruses. They are just, uh, I'll call it, genotypes of the same virus. That we continue to express work in solidarity, in cooperation uh, with the spirit, especially the spirit at which South Africa has shown us the way that, We we must share information and share that in a timely fashion. But again, the spirit of global solidarity and global cooperation must prevail so that we combat this virus uh, 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 collectively. Sure, John.
0: We go over now to James uh, Chege. And uh, James begins with a preamble, which I will give to you, and then go into his two questions. So the facts that he presents, uh, firstly, he says, the risk of needing to stay in hospital for patients with the Omicron variant of COVID-19 is 40 to 45% lower than for patients with the Delta variant, according to research by London's Imperial College. Then he says in Scotland, the Omicron variant of the coronavirus appears less likely to result in COVID-19 hospitalization than Delta, according to an analysis of early data. And the third point that he mentions is that, and this is all happening while a South African study suggests reduced risks of hospitalization and severe disease in people infected with the Omicron coronavirus variant versus the Delta. Then James goes on to ask you two questions. The first one. How do they inform our understanding of the new variant? The second question, we know that the UK has a high vaccination rate and that South Africa has high young population with natural immunity. What about the rest of Africa and the world? So those are two questions from James Chege. Very
5: very good question. I think there's... um that, that is what i said earlier james that we should uh, interpret the data in south africa with a lot of uh, 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 caution put that in the context of this is early days and uh, public health practice is local which means that you have to look at the population the pathogen and then of course look at uh, the, the, um, the 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 the, the, the the outcomes, and put them in that context, and which you just said. I mean, in South Africa, we are seeing, based on the results that our colleagues are reporting there, about 70 to 80% less severity, and in the UK, you're seeing about 40% less severity there, So, or hospitalization. So that speaks also to the fact that the population may actually be playing a role, that South Africa, given... The, the median population, that is age of the population, that is probably about 20 years old, is helping, uh, is contributing many uh, uh, to that situation we are seeing. I think that, is, again, these are early days. Again, I don't want to extrapolate that. We don't want to leave this uh, press conference by extrapolating massively the, the findings in South Africa across the continent. The, the Omicron is still being detected in, uh, across African countries, and I, I shared the numbers with you. And uh, uh, we will continue to learn as uh, the virus spread, and especially in terms of in terms of hospitalisation, and also in terms of um, uh, deaths that results from it. But very importantly, also in terms of vaccination, those who have been vaccinated, how many people are getting breakthrough with the Omicron uh, virus? So I think that is the, what we are, are dealing with now and trying to understand. I'm looking at your two questions. What do? We, how does that help our understanding? I hope address that and then the population effect. Clearly, we cannot dismiss that. But again, early days, the data mainly coming from South Africa, we need to see what happens across the continent as the Omicron spreads.
0: All right, thank you very much. Good morning to Sarah Jervin, who is with DEVEX. Sarah, please go ahead with your question.
1: Thank you so much. Um, with all of the new agreements and MOUs around COVID-19 vaccine manufacturing
6: on the African continent, uh, do you think this production will have a significant impact on supply for African nations next year? And can you, um, can you describe what kind of impacts that would be? Um, and then secondly, from what I understand, AVAT is 9 million doses short of its end-of-year goal. Uh, is that correct, and why, why is that? Thank you.
5: So uh, I believe, uh, Sarah, that um, by, the, the, by the end of next year, we'll begin to see a change in the, the levels of um, the availability of vaccines on the continent, not just for vaccines that are produced on the continent, but also the overall supply, uh, 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 supply chain for vaccines on the continent. But very importantly, we are hoping that uh, to see increase supplies from the Johnson & Johnson, uh, uh, from the aspirin uh, manufacturing in South Africa. We expect to see uh, production sites in, in Senegal uh, go live by the end of next year. Uh, uh, and Egypt, and Egypt, we already heard during the meeting in Kigali that they are producing now about 3.5 million doses of vaccines. Uh, that is the field and finish for the Chinese vaccine. So I expect to see that that situation will change by by the end of End of next year, so uh, in terms of the uh, the Avar supplies, I that is not my understanding. My and we can certainly check that. I mean, but my understanding from our briefing is that I think that the um, supplies that we are receiving from Avar are on course. I think we we've, uh, we've not heard of any delays uh, for that. But again, I can <clears throat> definitely check with Mr. Masiwa, who's. Uh, 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 role is to ensure and coordinate those deliveries and and get back to you hopefully after the new year. But we have not heard anything that is concerning from the Johnson & Johnson Supplies.
0: All right, uh, thank you very much. Uh, We don't have any open questions for now, but uh, perhaps we need to give colleagues a few minutes to uh, put through their questions. In the meantime, let me just give out that WhatsApp number again. It is the plus 251-904-139935. But we also take your questions live and uh, through the question and answer section. So while we are waiting for more questions to come in, let me just uh, pose one. And it is in terms of the restrictions that we saw across the world. How Now that countries are starting to open up again and allowing people to move, what possible reasons are emerging for having uh, put down such a restriction, especially without any medical evidence to show that uh, Omicron would be worse than Delta? What would have been the explanation behind that?
5: So the explanation behind that, Wayne, uh, is that we look at the mutations that were reported on the Omicron virus. The, They had all the, the, what I call the dangerous mutations that Delta had, okay, and then in addition to that, many more uh, mutations, in the total of more than 32 different mutations. And that suggested, and those mutations suggested, the key word here is very early on, suggested increased transmissibility, increased ability to escape uh, the immune system, and increased ability to escape from vaccines, from people that have been vaccinated. So I think a combination of that um, created an atmosphere where people where countries were very very concerned that uh, as to what would happen and the reason countries gave in a, a block a restricting movement was to understand more what the virus was like and to put in place uh, appropriate measures i think the overall um, our position has been that we should really work collectively uh, to have a common approach on how we're dealing with variants, because it is absolutely uh, possible that other variants will emerge, similar to the Omicron, and uh, we should have a, a, a consistency in patterns of how behavior as to how we deal with such uh, emergence of new new variants. There will be new variants. The Delta variant emerged around May. Right, if you recall, in um, in a um, When when was that in in, in India? And now the new variant has has emerged. So there is clearly an indication that many more variants will emerge.
0: All right. Thank you. We have received two questions from Judith. So I'll give you one before coming on to the next one. So Judith is working with the Kenya Broadcasting Corporation in Nairobi. And she says, my question is, in the presentation, Dr. Song said that there is need to embark on the booster jab for the vulnerable population in the face of the Omicron variant. But he also said while answering to Girumchala that we need to ensure that more people are vaccinated before beginning to administer the booster jab. Could you kindly clarify on this issue of the booster jab? This is because we know that Africa has the highest number of immunocompromised people who might be in danger if they do not get the booster jab.
5: So let, let me start with that. So first of all, let me address the immunocompromised population, which is mainly driven by the HIV. So my message to everyone, all member states and to those who have that immunocompromised status is go, get out there and get your first dose. Go out there and get, for those who have received their first dose, schedule your second dose and then ultimately get to your booster. The definition of booster here is that you're receiving a, a third dose after a full immunization cycle. So the point, Judith, is that you don't get to the third dose without going through the first and second dose, right? So I think that is the point I made that um, for that population, we now know that, that uh, what it can mean, especially in terms of uh, in, in, uh, in the face of the Omicron, to get out there quickly and get uh, start the administration course. You, you, you. There, there are not short courses to this. I think uh, you have to get your first dose, uh, prime your immune system, get your second dose, and subsequently get your third dose there. I think that's the point I'm, I'm making. Yeah, and it is really a collective responsibility to. Do a campaign within our own subcommunities to immobilize people to go out and get their their uh, their, their first dose, just to start with. I mean, there are countries that, are, uh, if you look at the level of even the level of immunization with their first dose, is still very very low. So, and uh, you just don't get to the third dose without doing your first and second doses. All
0: right, uh, thank you, John. We cross over now to Larry Mado who is with uh, CNN. And uh, Larry says, now that we have a month's worth of data, since South Africa first detected the Omicron variant, what can you definitely say to the world about it?
5: So I will still take a very cautionary uh, position, uh, Madhu, that um, one, we are seeing, it seems like we are seeing less severity of the, uh, the Omicron virus Uh, uh, amongst people infected in terms of of a level of hospitalization in South Africa. The second caution I'm 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 making here is that let's be careful not to extrapolate what we are seeing in South Africa across the continent or across the world. You just heard from a colleague from the UK uh, telling us numbers in the UK in terms of severity or hospitalization. And I think if I recall well, uh, she put that at uh, 40%. And South Africa is at 80 percent. So we still have to see. Uh, I mean, gather more data from countries that are, are, are seen more uh, the Omicron variant before we can actually come out with a definitive position. But early indications are suggesting that the virus might uh, actually lead to milder infections compared to um, compared to their the data. For so one thing, we are sure is that. Uh, the virus has a severe effect on uh, vaccination program. That is for people that have received, even the two doses of vaccines, they actually need to go ahead and get uh, the third sh- uh, 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 shot in order to boost up the levels of uh, antibodies. Mm-hmm. I think those are the, two, the only two things we can say okay, at this thank point. Thank
0: you, John. Uh, we say hello to Andrew Meldrum, and he's with Associated Press. So, Andrew says, what is needed to achieve mass vaccinations? Are African countries prepared to take vaccines to the people and also to have public education campaigns? And finally, does Africa need to consider vaccine mandates?
5: So, uh, I think we, as I said earlier, we had a a very successful meeting on Monday um, to address just that issue. And there are certain things that we must do, and do all of them together, increase the logistics for delivery from airport to arms, increase a search capacity for workforce, that is the nurses, doctors, that can immunize, make sure that vaccines come with the auxiliaries, the needles, the syringes that are required for vaccination. We also have to make sure that there's good logistics transportation of, of vaccines from, the, from the, 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 the airports to the most remote areas there. And we do that collectively. Again, that is why we had a meeting to address three things. One was, how, what do we do collectively in terms of strategies to bring out the population so that they can get the vaccine as they begin to arrive in a very steady manner? Second, how do we coordinate our efforts amongst partners? And thirdly, what kind of partnerships are required for them? The community has to play a leadership role in this community engagement, community ownership, and com- community leadership are critical. We've seen this in our own efforts with the Saving Lives and Saving Livelihood initiative that each time you involve and engage the community early in the planning, you have increased successes. Okay, we've seen that in Sierra Leone, in Sudan, and, and in Cameroon. So I think we really should learn some lessons from, from the vaccine mandates, my appeal to the population is, let's not get there. Uh, by, uh, let's avoid mandate by just showing up and doing the right thing. Okay? The right thing is the social contract that I've called for the continent to engage at individual level and community level. Now, if a government of countries in Africa will invest to acquire vaccines and then uh, make it available to the population, and uh, the population doesn't use the vaccine, then, then I think we are now pushing the countries to actually begin to consider more and more uh, the need for vaccine mandates. I think but for now, we still have that window opportunity to actually uh, go out voluntarily and get vaccines. Vaccines are the most effective public health intervention that we know in the history of infectious diseases, period. It is thanks to these vaccines that all of us, most of us, as life today, I mean, a whole host, host of we've received a whole spectrum of vaccines, including measles, polio, meningitis, a whole host of vaccines that have protected us. So I think I'll just leave that by saying that let's take our own personal responsibility and personal accountability to get ourselves vaccinated, so that we protect ourselves, our loved ones, and our communities.
0: All right, uh, thank you. James Chege has come back with another question, and I believe that James is with uh, Reuters. And he says, the Serum Institute of India, the SII, has waived its protection from legal liabilities for any AstraZeneca-Oxford COVID-19 shots that it supplies to a global program of refugees. The news comes days after Reuters reported that tens of millions of migrants may be denied COVID-19 vaccines from the vaccine-sharing program COVAX because of concerns over who would be liable in the event of harmful side effects. Dr. does this mean that AstraZeneca shots can reach some of the world's most needy people who would not be able to get inoculated through a national campaign? And also, what is your reaction to the Serum Institute's initiative?
5: I think all initiatives that enable and facilitate us to vaccinate the vulnerable population is very, very welcome. Because this virus doesn't actually know that people are more vulnerable than others. They don't know the refugees population. We will not leave with this pandemic if we do not vaccinate everybody that requires vaccination. I think that is very, very, um, it's it's very simple to to, to understand that concept. So any efforts and any measures that are put in place or decisions and actions that are put in place to facilitate that will be highly welcome as, as contributing to the solution.
0: All right, Um, another question coming through from Judith Akolo with Kenya Broadcasting Corporation. And she says, is the delay in informing the public when a new variant, let me just catch up with that, because more messages have come in and um, moved things around a bit. All right, so Judith Akolo says, is the delay in informing the public when a new variant occurs helpful? While I know that science relies a lot on data, but when a new variant occurs and spreads fast, the public should be informed in good time so that they can take the necessary precautions.
5: Yes, I think we should always, that should be the gold standard. The gold standard of uh, timely access to the the information so that we can collectively take actions. That is good public health practice. And I think, again, I will, we will never be uh, uh, thankful enough to the scientists in South Africa and the leadership of South Africa in the way that they handle the, the Omicron, uh, uh, the, the, the news around the Omicron variant. That was very, very encouraging. That should be the gold standard for, for everyone.
0: Okay. Thank you, John. Sarah Jerving has come back with a second question. And she says, can you please... Dis- the damage to the health systems as a result of the conflict in northern Ethiopia? What are your concerns for, for the populations that are living there?
5: Well, the, the, each time you have a conflict, uh, Sarah, there's always uh, a, a tremendous harm to the uh, health system that are already weak at any rate uh, in peacetimes, uh, health systems on the continent. Um, not where they should be. And in terms of conflict, of course, you can expect that those systems will be further uh, handicapped. Um, we've always said that um, crisis uh, breeds uh, uh, emergence of, of diseases, and emergence of diseases breed crisis. So we are seeing the situation with the COVID-19, the kind of crisis that is breeding, and, of course, the situation in any crisis region across uh, Africa will only uh, hamper efforts to control any uh, infectious disease, not just any infectious disease, but even dealing with the existing conditions in in that excuse me in that part of the world. So I think um, there's um, there's no doubt that conflicts will just make it difficult for us to achieve our uh, universal health coverage or sustainable development goals efforts.
0: Okay, thank you very much. I'm receiving a request from Larry Mado who says that um, um, your your voice, I think, was breaking off at certain points. But, Larry, please, if you want uh, to uh, pursue that further, please uh, do contact uh, Promise Kaniki, Dr. Promise, on this number, plus 251-904-139935, and he will be able to support you with your request. All right, I'm not seeing any more questions that are coming through on any of our platforms. Just uh, taking a quick check. Yes, we do not have any more questions, nor do we have any more hands going up. So perhaps uh, Dr. John, let me give you the opportunity to just uh, give your final um, comments on the issue today. But perhaps before you, you do that, we had a compliment from, a gentleman called Ralph and he was saying that he doesn't have any questions for us today, but he really just wanted to compliment the whole team for the excellent communications throughout the year. So thank you very much, Ralph, for that compliment. Dr. John, it's now over to you for your final comments.
1: Welcome back. And uh, that was the uh, weekly briefing from the African Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, based in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The briefing uh, was led by Director General John Nkangasone. And that is going to uh, wrap up our program for today. You've been listening to the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast. Today is... Saturday, December 25th, 2021, we've been broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. we we'll would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of our program. If you'd like to have access to this program, go to the Pan African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan African Newswire, just go to our website at Pan African News dot blogspot dot com. We're going to be closing out uh with the music of uh Tad Dameron Fats Navarro live at the Royal Roost uh from nineteen forty eight. This is Abayomi Hazikawe signing off and have a beautiful week. <laughs>
7: again ladies and gentlemen with our theme java with symphony said done by the Tad Dameron group we bring you and bring our microphones right down here at the Royal Roots Metropolitan Opera House here at 1580 Broadway between 47th and 48th Street where the lights are low the music with that real knocked out groove and the people wonderful right now I'd like to introduce to you the gentleman of the Tad Dameron organization Tad Dameron wonderful musician one of the greatest in small group jazz here he is let's give him a great big hand Tad Dameron ladies and gentlemen And not to waste, not to waste too much time, let's bring to you a few of the other gentlemen. On, on trumpet, one of the greats of all time, Fats Navarro. Fats Navarro, ladies and gentlemen. And on tenor, on tenor, a wonderful guy, Alan Eager. Alan Eager, ladies and gentlemen. And then, of course, it's, uh, Curly Russell on bass and Kenny Clark on drums. Let's give them all a great big hand. And here's one of the great things that you always ask for when you call in the studio at Circle Six, 2500, the all-night, all-frantic show, The Squirrel. ladies and gentlemen, and that was a squirrel. Well, here's one you always ask for. It was arranged originally by the great Tad Dameron, one that Dizzy made, and I hope you enjoy it. Good bait. Let's bring back the great Tad Dameron organization, ladies and gentlemen. Tad Dameron, the wonderful thing, one you ask for very often, a thing called anthropology. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's bring Pancho back again. Pancho Kenny Hager to do Kitchenette Across the Hall, a real novelty thing, one I hope you really enjoy. Pancho, it's all yours. across the hall. Next morning many thanks to Faye. I had to wait because the bus was late. I kept thinking how she looked at A in the kitchenette across the hall. Then one day she lost her key. Gee, that was a
6: break for me. I had to climb in a window, she invited me to tea. I'm going to buy your wedding ring, we'll be married early in the spring. I'll move my bags and everything to the kitchenette